men talk about sex. They talk about money. They talk about politics. They talk about a lot of the stuff that we as women are like, I'm great. I'm fine. Everything's good. And the second I started saying, man, I am, I'm pretty depressed right now. I miss my old life. I don't think I'm cut out for this. I think we made a terrible mistake. All these, all my friends started kind of coming out of the woodwork and they were like, oh yeah, now that you mention it, like I did feel that way too. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Hello, friends. Amy and I traveled down to Chicago to have a little conversation with our first guest. Well, our first guest besides our husbands, of course. And when we were thinking about interviews, Kate Lemire came to mind immediately. And what great timing. Amy has lost her voice. So when you hear that scratchiness come on, she doesn't normally sound like that, but that is our co-host. And she and Kate have been really good friends on Instagram through pregnancies, but also with Kate's blog, The 4%, which goes far beyond your typical blog and really what you'd find in an exercise science degree. So thank you, Kate, for the information you put into this world, but also for being our first guest. Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here. And I I can't believe that this is happening because our Instagram friendship is like two plus years strong. So meeting someone in person that you feel like you're already so closely connected with um, is such a thrill. And Abby, it's so wonderful to meet you. And the respect that I have for what you guys are doing um, is so high. You both um, are really paving the way for women um, as well as our you know future generations. So thank you. And I'm honored to be here. And today's episode is going to cover Kate in her entirety. So her expertise, her life, it's really going to be her story. So tell us, Kate, what do you do? Where do you do it? And why do you feel so passionately about it? Like you said, my name is Kate Lemire, um, and I'm based out of Chicago. I'm a fitness blogger and trainer. I work at a company called Berries. Um, I'm one of the Chicago founding trainers, as well as a member of their corporate marketing team. And I create regular content for my Instagram platform, as well as my blog, The 4%. Thanks so much for the plug. Um, And I've had that blog for um, about six and a half years now. So it is quite robust. Um, I'm so proud of it. And I love um, to have it as a place to kind of be the cornerstone of the community that I'm building to let um, all followers, you know, primarily um, women know that you can live the life that you want and achieve what you want to achieve without um, a crippling sense of restriction. Um, And it's nice to have that reminder. That is so good. And we're going to get deep today. But first, Really, the question that everyone wants to know: How did you get your abs? Oh my god! So I like I gotta laugh because it, it seems to always come up. But I will be the first to say that um, they're the least interesting thing about me, and <laughs> they really they um, don't serve a ton of my happiness. So we'll just get that out there now. But any muscle definition, especially abdominal def- definition, is a product of consistent strength training and negative energy balance. So whether that be you're burning more calories than you consume or a combination of diet and exercise. um, That is how you build muscle and then um, shed the fat that sits on top of it. And there are thousands of ways to do it. I've been um, an athlete my whole life. Um, I was a swimmer competitively. I've also dabbled with triathlon and then have been um, strength training for like really 10 years. So I found a process um, in the gym that I love and I have stuck with it for almost a decade. And my nutrition some years have been better than others. Um, but my genetics cater to abdominal definition. My fat stores um, do not sit on my stomach. They're um, my thighs, my quads, my glutes. Um, that's where they sit. So I really don't have any control over that. Um, which is why I say it's like not very interesting because it's fairly easy to achieve. Um, my hamstrings, on the other hand, that's a whole other story. So we play to our strengths, you know? That's so interesting. And I loved what you said there, Kate, because 
I think as women, we can get into these mindsets that if we just had Kate's abs, we would be happy. And that's not the case. Yeah, it doesn't. I still have I still have uh, a, a job that gets tough, a uh, marriage that sometimes hits the rocks, friendships that need maintenance. Um, we all have the same types of problems. We're all in the same boat, rowing the same the same way, even if experiences are are different. Along those same lines, have you ever felt intimidated by clients, coworkers, Barry Goddess model trainer girls in the fitness field? Of course, I, it's it's natural and makes us human. Um, the Berries brand perception is not wrong. If you um, take a look at the Instagram page, one look, you're kind of like, oh my God, it's beautiful people, beautiful bodies, and um, perfection. And while that is the um, brand image, the fallacy that the workout is not for everyone, um, that, that therein lies the um, inherent distruth. So um, the workout is so approachable and can be really tailored to any walk of life, any season and ability level. Um, but coming coming into this company, which is 22 years old, and we entered the market in Chicago three years ago, one of my concerns was, I don't look like that. I'm not a model. I'm not an actress. Um, I don't get paid to be a beautiful face. I don't know if I'm going to fit in here. And then meeting those beautiful faces and those beautiful people. And they're so down to earth. They're so nice. They're so intelligent. Um, it really, it's a nice reminder that this company is a family and also everyone caters to, um, a different audience and a different person. And if you have something to say, there is someone who wants to listen to you and whether that's me or one of my colleagues, um, you'll find your home and you'll find your audience. So that is what I use to kind of combat the intimidation factor. What an awesome company, but also what a good way of looking at it, Kate. And I know when Amy came back from your workout in the red room this morning, she was on cloud nine and kept saying, Abby, there was literally every type of body there. There was every type of age there. It wasn't like what we've seen on Keeping Up with the Kardashians and also on that SNL skit with one brand and one type of person. And that SNL skit, like we, I think I probably watched it 500 times. <laughs> it part of the humor was that it was like kind of true, yeah. but we don't take ourselves that seriously. And we want to have fun. It's an hour of our lives. And that red room is escapism. It is an escape from the real world. So we're not there for a long time. It's a good time. Um, and so we work hard, but we have a lot of fun. And I love how you've mentioned in other podcast interviews how you turn on whatever music you love just to be like the old person who you used to be. Yes. And it's just a way that you can be whoever you want to be, even if it's just for 60 minutes, 4% yeah, of your entire day. So with that, we have women of all different levels. For the women who are just starting from scratch, maybe they've let themselves go after having two babies. Maybe they haven't worked out in a really long time. What are your recommendations for them? Whether you're, you know, male or female or um, coming back from a time off or a hiatus from fitness or are looking to start um, prioritizing your health for the very first time, there's a couple of pieces of advice that I have um, that I think set the tone for lifelong success. Um, flip the script to start. Letting, letting yourself go, um, I really hate that because it devalues the time that you've spent doing other things. Mm -hmm. If you're a mom and you have two kids or you are an executive who's been going for a promotion or to make partner, your focus has been on something else and that should not and cannot be devalued. So change the story. I've been for the last two years focusing on X, Y, and Z, and now I want to take some time to prioritize this. So that's the first step. The second step is go back to basics. Right now, there is so much information on Instagram, the internet, every trainer touts a different methodology and protocol, and you're never going to be too advanced or have a unique situation where basic training will not work for you, where eating clean and healthfully in um, portions that are right for your body and situation will not work for you. So strip the complication um, and really just take things at the most basic level. Um, and we can kind of get into that. Um, but also remove 
timelines, deadlines, expectations. It's going to take longer than you want it to. And that's okay. Um, it, it has to be because that's just how it is. And if you remove the sense of urgency, it automatically becomes more enjoyable. And then um, align your expectations with your actions and outcomes. If you want to look a certain way or perform a certain way or feel a certain way, there are actions that will be more efficient and efficacious than others. If you are spending all of your time running, but you want to get stronger and do a push-up, those aren't aligned. So you're kind of spinning your wheels and you're left with frustration of why am I not getting there? I'm spending all this time running. Why can't I do a push up? You know, the, the energy is misaligned. Um, so those are kind of the steps that I go through um, with someone who is looking to um, re-engage, reprioritize, or start fresh to kind of level set. Because the workout and the nutrition itself is a very, very small component of the day. So it's kind of managing everything else, time and energy to have this you know, harmonious schedule as well as mindset. Oh, that's so good. And it feels simple to think about, but when you say those words, it just puts it all into perspective. Like the 20 years I've had with body issues and trying to make the process go faster than it should, that urgency, when you remove it, like, duh, like, why aren't we thinking about this? So ladies, that's a really important message just to take with you today, take with you tomorrow, and just knowing that it is a process. Like all of this is a journey. Right along with that, one of the questions that we got is, how do you conquer mom guilt for spending time away at the gym? I think this is especially hard for women that also work and work out. Mom guilt. Oh my God. It is, it's really, it's a really, it's a big thing. <laughs> it's really problematic. I um, suffered so much from it, especially by the first year um, my son Luke was on this earth. And I have since let it go because I understand, and Amy, I know you say this all the time, Abby, you too, that it it helps in the long run and it makes you become more focused and a better mom and person and provider for those in your life. But also it really, it's, it's just time. It's a quantifiable unit of measurement. So what are, what do you do with that hour to yourself, whether it be in the gym or getting your hair done, reading a book, drinking a cup of coffee by yourself. It's really just time and how you spend it. And I have come to the conclusion that my relationship with my son or with anyone isn't going to be made or broken in that one hour if I am there the rest of the time. And if the time I am there is quality. Um, so I really have focused less on the time away um, because I am gone a lot. I work full time um, and I have a non-traditional schedule. So I miss bedtime three nights out of the week. Um, and I really had to grapple with that. But the conclusion that I came to is I get a lot of fulfillment from my job. I get a lot of fulfillment from the gym. And I do make other choices and sacrifices to make sure that the rest of the week I am there for bedtime and I am there in the morning and my phone's away and my focus is on my family or, um, you know, really wherever my feet are. But, um, I think I I did I had to research mom guilt because I didn't understand it and it was really really profound and I was suffering from it and I came uh, I across a interview where the um, woman was saying like men don't have this guilt so there's no such thing as dad guilt it's mom guilt so it is biological. And so we have to kind of do the thought work to unwire this like DNA that we have within us to feel this way of being somewhere, but wanting to be somewhere else. And so once I was like, okay, this is something that I can like work through um, and unpack, it, it helped. If a woman came up to you at Barry's and she said, Kate, the reason I haven't been coming is mom guilt. Can you give us the pep talk that you would give her? 
Two things. So the first is to investigate how the rest of her time is being spent and where we could garner some efficiencies. Maybe it's having groceries delivered or um, dictating her grocery list while she walks to the gym. Um, Where can we get little pockets of time that can add up to that hour away where she's not feeling like she's missing or falling behind? And then also asking her to just sit sit with it. You can work out while having mom guilt. It's always in the back of my mind. Um, and I sit with it. I acknowledge it. Very rarely do I get to the gym and then think, I can't be here. I got to be at home and then leave. There are so many times where I think, I should I be at home right now? Is my son missing something or am I a bad mom because I'm not there? And I sit with that and I acknowledge that I have worries about being a bad mom and I do connect quantity to quality. Um, and sometimes that's the case and sometimes it isn't, but you can have discomfort, you can have uncertainty and you can sit with it while staying your course. And also, um, you know, a third, a third point or a third question is how, how important is movement to you right now? Maybe it's not. And she just thinks, oh, well, I should be doing this. So, you know, I need to be, I need to be there at the gym and that's the level of resistance. You know, there's a season for everything and maybe now isn't the time. Um, a lot of mom guilt is also, I, I, I believe, triggered by anxiety and that is, um, postpartum anxiety is a whole other issue that has to be explored. Um, and I think best with a professional. Um, so if you have an hour to spend on bettering yourself or um, self-care or wellness, perhaps that hour is with therapy or with meditation. It's not in the gym. Let's go into that one in a little bit, because I think a lot of people have questions about that postpartum anxiety or just the feelings that they're having. And you are so, so good about talking through those in an unbiased way, in a non-judgmental way. So let's table that one. But you brought up motivation and being where your feet are. And maybe right now isn't the time that that woman or that person should be working out or wants to be working out. How do you stay so motivated for that woman who might have not gone for a while or really wants to get back into it? It's February now, or it's end of January. And sometimes those New Year's goals kind of take a trickle after a couple of weeks. We give motivation so much credit um, as people and as a society, and we rely on it for so much. We put a lot of pressure on motivation. I compare motivation to your most toxic friendship. There when the going is good and then disappears when you need her most. You can't trust it. You can't rely on it. It's not there when you truly, truly need help. Um, It's cyclical. So motivation is not the focus. Application is. And you can say that, you know, that's discipline or that's just, you know, you know, getting whatever you have to get done when you have to get it done. But um, whenever I'm struggling with anything, whether that be going to the gym or, you know, cleaning my house, I never think about the act itself in the moment. I think about um, what the action or the application implies. Tomorrow, it'll be easier to get to the gym because I went today. Tomorrow, I'm going to wake up with a clean kitchen and you know I'll get to spend that time with Luke as opposed to emptying the dishwasher. So I think about like, okay, this action has you know this consequence for better or for worse. What is that? And sometimes it's like, okay, I could go to bed now or I could like unload the dishwasher. I could stay in Netflix and chill or I could go work out. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely just going to chill out because I, w- I-, I need that time and that's the-, the consequence I don't care about. Um, but I will say that the thing I always remind myself is a body at motion will stay at motion and a body at rest will stay at rest until something with a great enough force is applied against it to get it to move. The old adage that says the hardest part of a run is getting out the door. Um, that's true. It is a lot harder to go from laying down to sitting up to standing than it is to go from a walk to a jog to a run. So I never think, okay, I'm going to work out today because I need abs or I need to maintain something or I need to lose five pounds. I think tomorrow is going to be better and easier if I do this today 
for the only fact that it's habit forming and that is that's where longevity is rooted. Um, I really don't think that a quick fix or a detox or a program that's like one and done is necessarily the answer for anyone at any point in time, but it's rather these little building blocks that when stacked and layered form a big picture um, that you can still be doing years and years and years to come. That's just such a good way of saying it. And my husband and I, we talk about it as the ball's either rolling one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Once it's rolling, it's a lot easier to keep it rolling. It's just getting over that hump. So we've talked a lot about the exercise side of what you do. Let's talk nutrition. And I really want to know how you handle your diet because I have not had... I've had a lot of issues with this. And I know that if I were somebody who was tracking it in the... Is it the Lose It app that you use? Yes. I feel like I'm the type of person who would take it to an extreme or I would be looking at it too much or just doing it in an unhealthy way. Yeah. So I completely understand that people can do this in a healthy way. So explain how you do this. How does it look for you? Because everyone has questions about how people do the nutrition side of things. Right now, I my goal is fat loss. So I am working out and more importantly, eating for fat loss. Um, I have a specific goal which requires a specific strategy, and that's all it is. So I, and I haven't always been this way, so emotionally detached, but have put in a lot of time and energy um, into my mental state, my outlook, and my perspective so that I am, so I'm able to um, have a good relationship with training food and my body. Because I mean, I think we've all been there where we've been a little extreme. We've been a little obsessive. Um, our culture rewards that. Our society promotes and encourages it. And women have a tendency to be super, you know, hypersensitive or obsessive over like certain behaviors. It's just our nature. Um, whether you are flexible or rigid in your training or nutrition methodology, the only thing that matters is your mental state. So you can do a meal plan, you can eat intuitively, you can track calories or macros. But if you are looking at these tools, which are essentially a means to an end, and if you find a process that um, works for you, and you're lucky enough to find a process that helps you um, form habits and educate yourself, then um, it's a little more than just a means to an end. But if you're looking at these methods for happiness, acceptance, body positivity, um, you're, you're doing things out of order and that does not set you up for success. So for me, my goal is to, um, reshape my physique. So I'm training for volume. I'm, um, doing a lot of full body programs with an emphasis on my posterior chain to bring up my hamstrings and um, reshape my glutes, but then also, um, shed the fat that I acquired from a five month, um, bulk period where I was in a caloric surplus. So very calculated. Um, it is, it does revolve around numbers and intakes and consumption, but for me, it's more education and understanding this process so that I'm able to speak to it and help people who are going through the same thing, but also just to see like what happens, what happens when I put on weight with the intention to grow muscle, what happens when I, you know, trim that fat away and get stronger. And I've really come to enjoy it. Um, and the the crux of that was I heard myself say, I'm never going to have defined legs. And I was giving an interview to a platform that targets collegiate women. And I thought, what kind of example did you just set? Like that, I, I really, that it uh, made me sick to my stomach and did not sit well with me. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to try. I'm going to try this. So I did something I'd never done before, and I'm experiencing results I never have. And does it require like a level of um, sacrifice and choice in terms of consumption in my social life and, and um, beyond? Yes, but it's temporary, and I'm at peace with it. Um, and it really has no bearing or impact on how I view myself or my relationships or um, my marriage with my husband. I put on 15 pounds of scale weight, and God love Matt Lemire. He was like... <laughs> you don't really look that different. And I I believed him. I believed him, even though I was like, oh my gosh, Um, it was a little uh, jarring at first. But um, it it really just re-emphasized to me, happiness is a state of mind. And if you are not doing the thought work to kind of uncover 
why am I having these obsessive food thoughts? Why am I relying on my tracker app as my Bible and North Star? Um, It's never about the food. It's always about something else. And then coming to terms with that, understanding it and knowing this, that trigger helps you behave in a way that I believe is a little more level set. Yeah. And I think one thing too, is that there's a season for everything. Yes. So Kate's not doing this. I don't want to speak for you, but not doing it constantly trying to be in a deficit. No. And you, you can't be, there is a life cycle to diet. You cannot always be cutting. You cannot always be trying to lose weight. Um, It just isn't realistic from just like a personal life and like emotional state, um, as well as like on the physical and bodily level. You're so knowledgeable with this. Like it's just, it's so incredible hearing you say all these things because I'm like, I feel like I'm back in science class right now. Like you are just so knowledgeable. But do you ever have an off day, like a girls' night or a vacation? Like how do you deal with that? I I love food. I love alcohol. In in I know how that sounds. I love wine. I love cocktails. Like a dirty martini at the end of the week, like super filthy and like ice cold, is so good. Um, I love going to restaurants when I'm on vacation. I don't even think twice about it. But um, it, I wasn't always that way, and I, I would feel a lot of guilt, restriction, or resentment around food. Um, but just knowing that your body doesn't reset or start over. Um, so if you're looking at progress in terms of starting, stopping, progressing, stalling, um, it's not really like that. Every day just kind of compounds and. I I do like calorie tracking because it does provide a level of education. Like this donut is 200 calories. It's not the crisis that I'm imagining it to be. In fact, I can eat this and then go about the rest of my day and still maintain my goals if that's what I choose to do. It's it's not the situation that we often blow it out of proportion to be. So I do like it just from um, an educational standpoint, but um, I... If you if you're eating something and you're obsessing or you're feeling guilty, you're not enjoying it and you're not um, serving your cause. So that's two things you have against you. If you're knowing, okay, I'm going to eat this meal. If I'm trying to lose weight and it puts me over my deficit, um, I'm at least going to enjoy it so wholeheartedly and be in the moment and you know savor the wine that goes with it. And then the next morning, do everything I've always done. There's no need to um, try to do damage control or work around it. The only thing to do is move forward. That's it. It, it really is that simple. And we've talked through the living in extremes on a couple different episodes. So many of us women, myself included, have really lived in that all or nothing mentality. It's okay to eat that one donut. Just don't finish the whole baker's dozen. Like <laughs> and if you do, that's okay. Like think about why why did I want to eat this or where was I? What headspace was I in? Like there's a very like mindful component to um the fitness space that like really isn't talked about, but the all or nothing mentality. We need to call it what it is. A cognizant cognitive, excuse me, disorder that um detracts any type of effort if it's not perfect. So how messed up is that? Like this, like the tragedy of perfectionism that's like, if it's not perfect, it doesn't count. When in fact, this is what makes or breaks our progress. This is, this is the secret sauce. So if you're, um, and I'll use this visual, um, just for the simplicity of mental math, which is like really not my strong suit, but if you're, (laughs) if you're one person and your definition of perfect success is three one hour workouts per week. And for whatever reason in the month of May, you're, you have a family emergency or you're traveling for work and you cannot get to the gym for one hour. So you forego your workouts because it's not perfect. What's the point? You end the month with zero minutes of activity, movement, or like I'm using air quotes, deposit to your goal or cause. That same person who thinks I'm just going to go for 20 minutes or do whatever I need to do for 20 minutes by the end of the month has 240 minutes applied to their cause or their goal or whatever it is. So that example shows 
the fundamental flaw with that all or nothing thinking, because the difference between what you do, you know, semi-perfectly versus perfectly is so much greater than what you do or don't do. It, these little actions compound to make a big difference. By the end of the year, that's hours and hours and hours that you've put against changing your body or developing your mind or whatever it is, learning a new language. Five minutes is better than nothing. I can't think of an example where that wouldn't be the case. So knowing that this perfectionism, we all, we all, I think we have, have it to a level of degree. Oh, if I, you know, if I am going to brunch and I had three courses and I, you know, really overindulged, then the rest of the day is just kind of a wash. Um, you know, it could be, but if you had that mentality day after day after day after day, that really sets you up for a different story than if you woke up the next morning and thought, all right, now I'm just going to do what I always did, or I'm just going to go to the gym for 20 minutes. Like I said, a body at motion stays in motion. So, um, the all or nothing mentality, we have to kick it to the curb. And actually on my website, um, if you search all or nothing, um, an article will pop up with a tracker that helps you identify this visual. So over the course of the month, it prompts you to like plug and play like the days you, you know, you were really off the wagon and you just do whatever you wanted. That's like a red day. And then two out of three, that's yellow. And then if you maintain an adherence to your goal, then that's green. And it shows you that even if you have a bad week or three bad days in a row, how it pales in comparison to all the good. So by the end, you only remember the bad, but then when you look at it on a holistic level, you're like, wow, I really did come up on top. And that gives you peace of mind that that donut's not going to hurt you. That vacation is not going to do anything to you. And even if it's you know months and months or years and years, you can always turn it around. I'm going to need to replay this episode on repeat in my mind to remember everything that you're saying right now. And for those who are listening who are moms... You brought up such a good point, Kate, with five minutes is better than nothing. I'm reading the book Atomic Habits right now by James Clear, and he always brings up even just doing five minutes of something every day or every other day. Again, it keeps that ball in motion. It keeps you just continuing to go forward. And it's the habit of, I'm at least doing something. So when we talk about kids and being mothers and doing the five minutes is better than nothing, if Luke asked your son, he's two years old now, Almost two. He's almost two. He's he's wild. (laughs) Uh, We can all relate to that. In a couple of years, if Luke asked you, Mama, why do you track all your food? How would you answer him? I would be honest and say it's a checks and balance that helps me reach a goal. And when when I'm portioning my food out... I'm, I've been doing this for enough time where I can kind of eyeball it. So I don't feel super reliant, like on my food scale to the point where it is a very like large piece of my day to like weigh, weigh and measure food. Um, so for me, like I'm kind of discreet about it and just do it quickly and it doesn't, you know, it's not all consuming, but I would be honest. Um, and with kids, um, whether you have a son or you have a daughter, like there's there's going to be some societal pressure or um, norm around food, whether it's thinness or it's power or it's locker room culture, it's speed. If Luke wants to play football and then he's like, well, why can't I bench my body weight? There, um, the conversation around food needs to be kind of, I think from all ends of food as fuel, food for pleasure. Food is, um, something that we indulge in and we enjoy. It can solve problems and it cannot solve problems. And um, having those conversations, um, I believe, you know, I say this now, he's two, um, my my approach will just be, what's the goal? What do we want to accomplish here? Because if it's not food, it's supplementation. Mm-hmm. And um, especially with formative experience and athletics um, for 
for young boys, I think, you know, the, the pre-workout, the protein powder, um, and the, the bulking plan for football players, there's a lot that will, um, go into it. And the conversation I, I want to be for Luke, a resource. Um, and I, I, I'm already anticipating it's like, well, mom, I don't want to listen to you about this, but (laughs) I, I hope that I can establish myself as, not necessarily an expert, but someone he can turn to if he has questions or needs help or needs to understand why, um, you know, someone's body might look different than his. Um, and same thing if we have more kids and if we have a daughter that it's not necessarily about thinness or performance, it's how we feel. And whether that be, these are tools that can help us, um, put together, you know, the diet or the lifestyle that we want to have, or really just establishing our dinner table as like an epicenter of our family tradition and experience and not something that needs to be like revolving around food necessarily, even though we're all coming together to sit down. It's not just about the food. It's about um, our togetherness and a reflection of the day and where we go to um, improve our relationships with one another. But I, I think about that all the time. And when the doctor was like, it's a boy, I was like, oh, thank God, because I was just like very worried. I feel like even in like elementary school, it's like, you know, girls are starting to say like, I'm fat or I'm ugly. And it starts so early. But then with boys, I was like, oh my God, he's going to want to play football and he's going to want to, you know, be huge and like mass all this size. And that's going to come with a whole other can of worms. And I come from the standpoint Again, my son is two, so I could be, I could be eating my words, no pun intended. But I think knowledge is power and I set the tone. If I have a good relationship, even if I'm dieting, even if I'm bulking, whatever I'm doing, if I'm maintaining, that will encourage um, a good relationship, their own relationship with food. I love that. And, you know, in front of my little guys, I just like to show them, you know, mom can have the chocolate birthday cake just as they can. I don't have to, you know, never indulge. I don't think we ever want to teach our children that mom can't have that. Um, We're going to shift gears. We're going to go into pregnancy and postpartum. Kate, I've been following you a long time. I was along for the journey when you were pregnant with Luke. And one thing that I really appreciated was the honesty that you shared. I remember the post when you were talking about how you had some baby blues while you were pregnant and how you had to work through that because along with that came some judgment of yourself that this isn't the way that you are supposed to feel as you're expanding your family. Can you talk to us about um, those baby blues that you felt? Yeah, um, right in the early days of uh, my second trimester, I was so sad, so lethargic. I didn't want to get out of bed. I was crying all the time. Um, I was so worried. Um, My husband was traveling a lot, so I was alone a lot and felt very um, isolated. And um, I started to feel better when I was honest about my experience. And when I got the nerve to say to, she is a friend now. At the time, I would have said one of my clients. I She asked me, well, how are you? And I was like, honestly, I'm really struggling. And she said, oh yeah, yeah, that's normal. And I was like, oh my God, it is. Like part of one of the things that I'm working through, I think I'm the only person to like have this problem and it's only happened to me and like I catastrophize that. So as soon as I know that someone else has had the same problem or has um, had a similar experience, I automatically feel better. Um, And with um, postpartum depression, which I um, also worked through, the, you know, those initial baby blues after I had my son, they hit me really hard. And when I came out of that, I said to my husband, I was like, wow, what was that like for you? And he kind of shook it off and said, I mean, I knew it was going to happen. And I said, how did you know? And he goes, well, 
Tom told me, Ed told me, uh, all of his friends, Aaron told me, all of his friends had said, hey man, like going's going to get a little, you know, rocky and this is what we did and this is what happened. And not that I like, I'm going to get in like a political statement here, but (laughs) women, you know, we want this equality and we should have it, but we're never going to get it if we're learning about our own experiences from men. So my husband basically knew more about my experience than I did because men talk about sex. They talk about money. They talk about politics. They talk about a lot of the stuff that we as women are like, I'm great. I'm fine. Everything's good. And the second I started saying, man, I am, I'm pretty depressed right now. I miss my old life. I don't think I'm cut out for this. I think we made a terrible mistake. All these, all my friends started kind of coming out of the woodwork and they were like, oh yeah, now that you mention it, like I did feel that way too. And so I was like, thanks for nothing. But like it really, it started with me to have that conversation. So I knew that I really needed to know that it was okay to feel this way. So I have used my platform in a way to kind of be that voice that I was like Googling and searching for. Um, but yeah, I I was really surprised when I came to terms and was able to be honest that I I do, I have postpartum depression and I need to figure this out because I was very embarrassed. I felt a lot of shame. I thought something was wrong with me. Um, and also I looked to my privilege, like who am I to feel upset right now? I have a roof over my head and food on the table and my son's at a wonderful daycare and I was able to keep a job that was supportive of me. Who am I to feel this way? Um, and it, it's not about circumstance. Like our feelings and our, horm- our hormones are something that we need to be proactive with. Um, so I I, I've been in therapy for a year this week and it is, it is daunting. It is exhausting. It is challenging. It is so worthwhile for me. And thank you so much for sharing that experience because I think the weight of the shame that women feel when they have those feelings is so heavy, but it just takes other women coming forward and saying, I had that too. And you using your platform where so many people can see, you know, have eyes on you and um, and can see you as such a strong woman in so many ways, but say like, you know what, Kate even struggled through this. I think that's really, really important. And as women, all of us are going to feel different, you know, different ways. I know another thing about you, is it safe to say that Matt felt ready to start a family first? Yes. <laughs> I mean, before we even got married, he was like, oh, you know, if you got pregnant now, like you wouldn't show in your wedding dress. Like, you know, we could, we could do this. And then our, uh, we had been married for a couple of years and then our very dear friends were getting married in Mexico. Um, and you know, Zika was a concern. So I was like, oh yes, I just bought myself another six months and we're going to go to this <laughs> wedding. And I, like, we're not going to start trying not to have a baby until like the spring. This is going to be great. Um, I, yeah, I really, I was really worried because I felt like, like I I was felt like I was too selfish to be a mom and I loved working and I loved my life how it was and I had a lot of goals and a lot of ambitions and there was a lot of things that I wanted to do and I that made me feel like I didn't have and I'm using air quotes again like the mom gene just because I didn't have like I that moment where I woke up and I was like I want to be a mom and I'm ready now you mentioned so many good things about how men talk about finances and about sex and about like the real things in life. And that's the whole point of this podcast is to actually talk through, we have struggles, we have challenges. What you see in this picture perfect person on Instagram or at the gym or in real life, there's a person behind that too. This is our collective human experience. <sighs> like we're all in this together. Um, so yeah, you got to name it. And one thing that you and I have both struggled with that I know is one thing that women just usually deal with is organ prolapse. People who pee themselves when they sneeze and you think it's just part of becoming a mom. Like we joke about that in our culture. When you have that dull feeling in your like your vagina, when you are running a couple months postpartum and you're feeling that pressure, like there's all these things that we think are normal mm-hmm. or we think will just clear up on their own. And they're really, really big issues. And it's until we actually start talking through these and bringing them up in conversations like this behind closed doors with actual people in real life that we realize other women also have these struggles. 
So as a person who takes her continuing education very seriously, which I know you do, let us know about this. Like how, how, how did this happen to you? Um, just kind of say it lightly. Like how did this happen to you, even though you know all the things going into it? And what words of wisdom do you have for other women? I don't, I don't know how or when it happened to me. Um, because again, the, the body compounds. So I wouldn't say, um, prolapse is necessarily an instant, but rather can um, result from a combination of pregnancy and then labor and delivery and the pressure that it takes to um, you know, push a baby or even um, with a cesarean healing from that and having scar tissue form and pulling and tugging on organs or skin. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. I was very cautious with my um, training during pregnancy, but then I was also very cautious in my rehab um, postpartum um, and regaining my strength. And I wouldn't say that I was, you know, too aggressive in any instance. And yet, still had a bladder prolapse, the um, anterior compartment of um, vaginal prolapse, and then rectal. So throughout the two years that my son's been on this earth, I've had in different parts um, and overlapping those, um, those issues. And, um, you know, even like how you breathe and your posture and I work in fitness, so I'm wearing high-waisted black spandex pants all day, every day, sucking in my stomach, whether it be intentional or not. I'm walking quickly with a backpack on my back. Um, Was my internal pressure regulated all day, every day? Absolutely not. So it's that too, where I'm talking into a microphone nonstop without taking a full breath, like day after day, like that adds to it. So... um, I was one day um, just uncomfortable. I, I had a lot of painful sex and was like, I just, this isn't right. And I don't, I can't live like this. I don't want to accept this. Um, it was really kind of, you know, on my mental state being like, I don't feel very like womanly or feminine because I don't feel very sexy sex. Um, I used to really enjoy it. And now it, it's painful and kind of a chore. And um, when I would walk, it was kind of like a phantom tampon sensation. And for me, I was like, I can't take another second of this. Like, what is it? Um, and so I like made a call to get in with my OB and we um, did an exam and she recommended um, pelvic floor physical therapy. I actually, I went there proactively to start and they were like, oh yeah, you're looking great and progressing really nicely. Like, you know, you're good. And then I had to go back because the um, scar tissue from my tear, I had a second degree tear, um, was not mobile. And so it was pulling on the muscles of my vagina and causing those muscles to be in spasm. So that, and that can happen whether you've had a baby or not, but doing the diligence to go back to a doctor, to get a second opinion, to see a different physical therapist. It takes so much time. It takes so much energy. I mean, here I am being this person who I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm a tough chick. Like I know fitness. I know my body. I was a statistic. I had postpartum depression and prolapse. One in three women have the prolapse. One in 10, which I know there's more, yeah, yeah, have yeah. postpartum <clears throat> depression. So I was like, okay, this can truly happen to anyone. And when I was describing on uh, my platforms like what this was like, there were women 14 years postpartum saying, oh yeah, I have that too. So it just is, it's something we have to talk about. And then it's something that we have to feel comfortable saying, this is something I need to check out. And this is just, it didn't happen to me. It's not bad. It's not good. This is just part of my rehab and part of my experience. And like, yes, it's frustrating, but it kind of is what it is. And I had to really take that tone. Like I would have like colleagues be like, oh, so like, how's that thing you're dealing with? I'm like, oh, my prolapse, it's still, it's going fine. And I'm in rehab and blah, blah, blah. And I would just name it because this is part of my story. And a lot of our, a lot of my clients um, has encouraged them to be proactive about their health um, and have have caused them to think twice before like, oh, I'm just gonna like hop on this treadmill and like run again. Like, no, I'm gonna like, power walk. I'm going to take an incline. I'm going to focus on my, um, you know, rotation and my breath and, you know, regulating the pressure that I feel internally. And 
if that helps one person, I will feel like, you know, it's worth it because my uncles follow me on Instagram, my brother, my nephews, like my dad. So it's like, I post this stuff and I'm like, Oh God. All right. Well, they're just going to have to like turn a blind eye because this is me. And I use this, you know, to build a business and a brand. So it's not like, um, you know, it serves a purpose, but, um, I just encourage women to be mindful. Don't think this is going to go away on its own. If it's been two weeks, it's not going away on its own. And the time it takes to get to a doctor or a rehab facility and do the rehab and take the step back. Like sometimes we got to take a step back to move forward. And the questions that I get that are like, what are, what's your advice? Like to, you know, for injuries, I'm like, address it go see a doctor. Like, why are you asking me? I don't know. You go see a therapist, a pelvic floor, go see a doctor, get it addressed. And even if it means taking months and months and months off, you're going to be better three years down the line. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to add is that I think women can feel embarrassed around this subject. And that's a feeling that's okay to feel. But I tell myself, Amy, sometimes you got to take your ego out of this. Crystal, always says as a pelvic floor PT, she's like, we see it as any other muscle on your body. We're not embarrassed to treat this. Um, you know, just to encourage you guys, if you have any issues to seek out help sooner than later is really, is going to get you better sooner. All right. So switching subjects now, and one that I'm personally really excited to get into, um, is marriage. And, we, I love to follow you on Instagram. Lots of jokes um, go at your husband, as do I do on my Instagram account too, so I can relate. Um, but we wanted to start by asking, what would you say is the biggest struggle in your guys' marriage? Um, the the time crunch and then uh, the everyday adversity of having a toddler. Um, my husband works and I work full time. Um, and Luke, like I said, is wild. So by the end of the day, we're really tired and, um, we serve each other, you know, the leftovers. Right. Um, and I, you've mentioned that before and I related, I related to that so much. Um, I recently just scaled back my work schedule effective, um, the beginning of next month. So I think we're about to enter a new chapter that will really serve us. Um, but the, I think the struggle and Matt is very laid back. Like when I first met him, I was like, this guy is like classic salt of the earth, like Midwest. Uh, I just loved him because he never took anything too seriously. And he just was like a really, he's a really kind person. Um, and I, I, I provided a level of adversity after our son was born in my resistance to like adopting this new life. I was like hell bent on like being who I was with being a mom, being who I was while taking care of a kid. And I stood in, I stood in the way of my own happiness for a long time because I was really forcing something that if I just took a step back to like acclimate and like be present and kind of go with the flow, I think would have alleviated some of the turbulence we felt like as new parents. Um, and I take full responsibility for that. I don't know if I've ever like actually said that to him. So hopefully he'll <laughs> listen to this. So I don't have to say it to his face as a true Scorpio. I just am never going to, um, just kidding. But I, um, we, we struggle with just trying to find time to like prioritize, each other and who we were before we had Luke. So I, um, I'm, I'm trying to be more diligent with booking babysitters so that we can like have those dates. Cause we don't really like do that a lot. Um, but I've got, I've got some good ones in rotation. So I think we're gonna have some fun <laughs> date nights coming up in 2020. So speaking of Luke, I know that you feel like your guy's marriage definitely changed after he came, you know, last night speaking to you, I know you didn't feel like you guys faced a lot of adversity until you threw the bomb of having a child mm -hmm. into the marriage. So if you could speak to that, but then also, what would you go back and tell the Kate that was just about to have that baby? Um, what advice would you give her about her marriage and, and maybe some things that would have made it easier on her? Go easy on him. <laughs> he is... 
Oh, I'm getting emotional. Oh. He's going through this too for the first time. And you guys aren't going to know the answers, but you can recenter and revisit love. And this is unprecedented. What you're about to go through, there is no best practice for. And so everything that you've done your whole life to navigate changing waters, you, nece- you won't necessarily have those tools. So please find comfort and faith in yourself and him, but please relax and please be patient because nothing is so urgent, extreme, life or death situation that you can't solve it with the pause and the breath between the stimulus and the reaction. And I love, I love following you both because you're tips for marriage and, um, you know, being kind to one another. Um, it, it is really, it's such a good reminder. I'm very feisty and I can go from zero to 60 in like a half a second. And, um, I've, it never was a problem before it was like, Oh, that's okay. Or like Matt would just like laugh it off. But, but now it, it is a problem and we're tired and our nerves are kind of fried. So if I go from zero to 60, he doesn't have the ability to shake it off like he used to, um, nor should he, nor should I even expect that of him. So uh, my advice to, uh, you know, prenatal Kate is please, please go easy on yourself and on him and just please breathe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it, it is, it's a sense of relearning, like how to communicate with your spouse. It's, stressful for both of you. And when we're stressed, we are not our best selves. So it's, you know, if you're there right now, all three of us have been there. And, you know, that's why we're here. We want to support you guys through that. It is not an uncommon feeling to feel ragey or, you know, annoyed and upset and impatient with your husband after that first, second or third baby comes. Um, lightening it up as we wrap up. How does Matt feel about your Instagram stories about his jeans or his airport tendencies? <laughs> does he does he enjoy the jokes? Yeah, he my husband is my favorite punchline and the provider of some of my richest content. Um so I thank him for that daily and actually he was just um in Cabo for a work trip. Um if I didn't have so much botox in my forehead, you could see my eyebrows shoot up. Um but yeah, so he was in Cabo for a work trip and I was like you better be sending me some good pictures that I can post because you chose this life. And he um has embraced it and um I he he likes it. He is a like a little personality on my feed. And it's funny, like people will stop him at Whole Foods or out at bars like, oh my God, are you Matt Lemire? And he um, he is like a wonderful representation of just, you know, how you can find balance. Like you can achieve your body goals and be married. You can focus on fitness and still have a family. Um, but he he's uh, such a support and he he's in on the joke, he thinks it's funny too. Sometimes he's like, okay, but uh, no, he, I wouldn't do it if he didn't um, get a good laugh. And I, I do it to make myself laugh and to make him laugh too. So it's yeah, same with Drew. I think he now likes to be in the storyline. He's are you catching this over here? Well, Kate, I just have to thank you. Like I have been able to pull so much information from you today. I've been like jotting down notes this entire time. I can't wait to just re-listen back to all of this, but Are there any last messages or last things you want to tell our audience as we kind of end today? Your um, life in the gym and the kitchen and the time you spend to better yourself um, or change parts of yourself um, should amplify your life and not take away from it. So if you are feeling stuck or you know, in the imprisonment of restriction or feeling like it is such a burden, um, you don't have to live that way. And there are thousands and thousands of ways to change your body and to change your mind. Um, But the only one that's going to work is one that works for you. So take a step back, take a break and know that it should 
it should be fun and you should like it. Maybe not all the time, every time, but, um, it, it doesn't have to be this situation that comes down on us. It should be something that we look forward to. And it's a small sliver that makes the rest of our life so good. And it's that imprisonment feeling that I know so many women, everyone here at this table has felt on so many levels. So thank you for that. Where can people find you, Kate? I'm on Instagram at Kate Lemire. And then my um, website is the 4% all spelled out. Um, And if you're in Chicago, please come find me at Barry's. I'm at both of our locations, soon to be three. Um, I would love, love, love to meet in person and work out together. And we will take these all in the, in the notes that we have in the description. But for now, thank you so much, Kate. She is in Chicago, guys. And we have more Chicago listeners than any other city in the world. So definitely check out that Barry's location. And if you like this episode, just share it with a friend. It's the easiest way that we can hear more information from Kate. We are going to have you on again, hopefully, if you say yes. I would love it. <laughs> yes, I accept. <laughs> Um, And thank you again so, so much. Thank you.